Welcome to On the Line. I'm Jenny Robb, and we are um, tackling chapter eight, uh, part two, um, with um, our our featured author and world-renowned coach, uh, Frank Giampaolo. Um, so we're going to dive right in. Um, chapter eight, part two, as a reminder, chapter eight, the title is Change Equals Improvement. And our quote is, everything measurable can be improved. Um, where we left off in, in chapter eight and part one was with a quote uh, from Vic Braden, which I'll, I'll repeat here, um, that says, once the pain of losing to an inferior opponent overrides the pain of change, the prognosis is good for quick improvement. Um, and that is where we uh, left you all last time. And so that's where we will pick up today. Uh, the next section is called Changing Inner Belief. Um, so Frank, uh, take it away. <laughs> no, no, okay, thanks. Hey, yeah, no, Changing Inner Belief probably comes before any actual winning. We know that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does spur on a, a better customized developmental plan. So um usually what we see is that athletes really just can't outplay their belief system. So you know the old saying, whether you believe you can or you can't is usually right, that type of thing, right? So um yeah, we're talking a little bit about how you know parents and coaches can kind of help athletes with inner dialogue and some of these topics. So Absolutely. Yeah, you you say in the book, beliefs have the power to create and the power to destroy. Teach your athlete that we all have empowering and destructive beliefs. Remind them that the power of positive inner belief will become thoughts that guide their new options. Athletes can't outplay their belief system. So if they mm. think they can or can't, they're usually right. <laughs> it's a it's a big statement and it's it um and it goes deep it goes deeper to the inner core of the athlete um it's not just about grooving your forehand and backhands more um when you get into the competitive phase now it's all about these different skills so yeah and i think a part that we have to talk about is uh, the ego of the athlete which is something that can either inflate them or deflate them and that goes into the core belief of confidence right um so how do we change that if we have a player that can't even believe they're going to win the match coming up oh i'm playing a 10 utr and i'm only a seven and if i get two games a set that would be great because kelly only got two games and you know, that kind of thing so how do we go about changing that that's pretty big it's very big. And um, if, if you're if you've been following along with us for a while um, in the book, we were on page 103, uh, where in each section of the chapter, Frank will present an idea and then present solutions. And so the solutions um, here with this section of changing inner belief, uh, we start um, and you say, parents, please ask your athlete to utilize the following tips. OK, the first tip is. Choose inner dialogue and positive self-talk that boosts confidence versus the standard negative monologue that derails confidence. So it goes right into what you were saying about confidence. That's our first, that's yep. your first uh, solution um, in this section. Uh, so let's, let's uh, delve into that a little more. <laughs> well, we know that their inner dialogue is their self-coaching. And we know in the match, they have to do self-coaching. Yes. And so kids that are more solution-based with their thinking, they can calm themselves down in between points. You know, they're going to, every match, you're going to hit drama, right? That's something that I think kids have to realize, too. There's going to be something that's going to be difficult. There's going to be hardships in every match. Yep. Um, and how they choose to actually handle that hardship is really big. So it's not that they're going to play without ever having hardships. They're always going to have hardships. And so part of the mental training and some of the courses that I do is based on the idea that it's, it's how you respond. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's big. Um, parents, if you, if you feel like uh, there is a lot of negative 
dialogue going on. Ask your athletes just simply to, to flip it. How would you change that to the opposing side? Mm-hmm. And so get them used to the idea that you're spotting the negative dialogue. You, you, we'll just make it known. And we're not like judging it. Right. We're just saying, how would you flip that? Yep. And uh, that's a good start. And and families can do it too. It's kind of fun when sometimes even the parents or other siblings are pretty negative and that's contagious, isn't it? Absolutely. Contagious is the right word because uh, we use the word modeling a lot um, yeah. and talk about the importance of modeling. So yes, if other family members or coaches or other teammates or players, the people that you're around Mm-hmm. affect you you know we, yeah. we know this it's proven um so yes uh that that it can be challenging if the people that the player is around or the parent is around have a tendency to lean towards the negative versus yeah choosing i like you know i love words i love choose because it is a choice <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so it leads into your your second um, tip in this in the solution section here, where you say, please list all your unique strengths, then one by one, appreciate them. And I think that's fantastic. So if someone has not, whether it's a player, parent, coach, whoever, family member, has not had modeling behavior that that supports the immediate positive reaction, you know, this is a great way to kind of guide that thinking. So an aid in that thinking of flipping it, like you were saying, and a good thing to do with the parent or the coach, the parent can do this with their, their player. I just, I just love where you say, please list all your unique strengths, then one by one, appreciate them. And so, and it, it, cause it's easy to pick things apart, right? And we are yeah. our own hardest critics. And so it's easy to sort of dive into this, 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 you know? So I think the idea of identifying, spending time thinking about strengths and Trips. then appreciating those strengths. And I just think that that is, you know, there's so many crossovers, um, between just life in general and approaching a, a tennis match or training. And, and that's one I think that, that is definitely applies. Um, yeah. So yeah, let, let, let's talk a little more about, you know, identifying and listing unique strengths and one by one appreciating them. Yeah. Well, here's one of the uh, insights that I try to do with athletes right now. Um, after each practice session, what I have them try to do is, and you can have your athletes do this right from the very beginning though, but is think about what are their superpowers? What are their weapons with strokes and with athleticism? Which is it agility? Is it endurance? Is it their forehand? Is it their serve? What are their superpowers? And then, but then with the software too, there's also mental and emotional skills. Like mentally, oh, I'm really good at dissecting the opponent, right? Like opponent awareness. Uh, emotionally, it could be things like, I don't tank, and I, I can close out matches. And what I like for the athletes that I work with to do is they have to put this list together on their cell phone, and you know, we can always file it in your customized notes under your tennis right. notes, right? Mm-hmm. And then the big key is they have to kind of read those at night, and especially before matches. So instead of worrying about the outcome and the anxiety, they're reviewing all their superpowers. Um, Some of the players benefit from actually writing it down on paper, like in a journal, and then they read those and changeovers, right? So there's, when they start to feel stress and pressure, when they're sitting down during the 90 seconds, they just pick up their notes and and they read all the things they're actually really good at. And it helps flip them a little bit to the positives, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I, um, I love that there are players at the highest level of the game that we see go to their notes, you know, 
on the men's and women's side and we've we've seen andy murray go to his notes we've seen serena williams go to her notes um and those are just just two off the top of my head and so i think that as a young player there might be some timidness (laughs) in I'm going to sit down and pull out my notes, you know, because is, is that okay? Is this cool? Am, am I all right doing this? And so I think saying, look, Andy Murray, Serena Williams, yeah. <laughs> these people also go to their notes on a changeover. It's okay. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> yes. Don't, don't worry about what other people are going to think when you pull your notes out, because as yeah. we know, young players, you know, and adults too. I mean, any, you know, really anyone, you know, but, but might have uh, an issue with feeling okay about going to know and the fact that they made the notes or, or that they're going through this. And so that it takes it kind of from an internal thing that maybe you have talked about with your parent and your coach, hopefully this, (laughs) and, and that's how you've made these notes. And, not worrying about what somebody else might think about pulling those notes out of your bag. So yeah, make true. that too much of a big deal, but, but definitely going to the notes, you know, the fact that you've thought about it, it's there and, and that's where your focus is going to stay. Um, so your next tip um, is employ smart goals, which are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely reminder. Winning every time isn't a smart goal. <laughs> so, so smart goals, um, you know, we, we love this. It goes back to the quote, you know, anything measurable can be improved. Um, yes. And so goal setting is, is a huge part of, of this whole, whole idea of becoming a, a tennis player and where you want to go. It starts with goals. And again, this, this, obviously is the crossover into just yes. in general. Um, but let's talk about smart goals a little bit. Well, I think smart goals, um, if you're trying to nurture your athletes is, uh, it's just based on improvement goals and then performance goals. So during the week of practice, remember it's not just their job to improve their strokes, but maybe improvement goals might be to imply more situational training. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are their best patterns to play? Rehearse that. Yes. Instead of rehearsing, just rallying. Yep. Uh, smart goals might be to have the the guts and the uh, maturity to to do practice matches because that's where all these competitive skills get rehearsed. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of kids avoid practice matches, um, or they maybe play one set a week and they think that's enough, but. You know, if they're going to play a 64-draw event, they're going to have to play 12, 15 sets over the weekend. That's a whole different type of mental toughness, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So before tournaments, for me, I think performance goals would be things like we're going to take notes or stats. We're going to look at your first serve percentages. That's something you can measure. Mm-hmm. Performance mm-hmm. goal. Maybe it's just keep deep balls deep and attack short balls. Mm-hmm. That's your performance goal. If you do that, if you do that today, you're a su- success. Because right. uh, you know it's kind of a myth for kids. They think that they're successful if they win, and you know they're a failure if they lose. But That's often a they can massive point. Isn't that it weird? Is like, massive, massive point. So yeah. part of the mindset shift is is this idea that. And they know it too, deep down intuitively, they know that they can play somebody a little bit better. They can play at their peak performance level better than they've ever played and still lose. Mm -hmm. Or they can play somebody crummy and they can play like a toad and they still win, (laughs) but it doesn't mean they really played well. So that's what we we want our athletes to look at is what are your performance goals? And that's the kids that win. Yep. Yep. And, and I love the idea of, of, of how this is personal, because Mm -hmm. again, taking that look at, 
you know, going back to before, you know, list your unique strengths, appreciate them, choose positive self-talk, you know, so if we're talking smart goals in this realm, you know, you can say, and and it's very personal to the athlete, only the athlete is going to know if those negative thoughts creep in, were you able to flip them? Were you able to get yeah. get over that? And so that is a very, very personal goal that at the yeah. end of the match, win or lose, can you say, if negative thoughts were coming in, I was able to overcome them. You know, I met this adversity or this drama and I did it. And so that could be, a, in my mind, a smart goal that only yeah. the player knows. Yeah. You know? And and it's kind of funny when I was thinking about this, Um. I was thinking about the parents too, obviously, because you know that is that is the point of, of what we're talking about ultimately. And so parents could set their own smart goals and say, okay, you know, I am going to try to not have a negative reaction that is visible to the player. If something, you know, you mess up a point, you you make a bad shot, you know, so you double fault, you know, and the kid, if they peek over at their parent, is their parent going, oh my gosh. So, so parents can have these goals too. And so yeah, them sort of understand the process of what their player is going through. If they're also kind of on this journey with their own goals. And so I, I love how it can apply to to the entire dynamic even the coach too yeah absolutely you know so so the coach watching you know have their own goals for themselves you know are they willing to is that coach willing to say all right um we've been working on xyz and whether they do it well or not if there's an attempt you know can can i be happy about the attempt even though it might not have worked can i be proud that yes they were listening they took in what we were training can can i can i separate that into a goal versus just outcome oriented goals yes and so so i love how that can apply to to the entire dynamic the player the coach and so so what you're saying too is that the parents are performing as well that's right. During the match, the parents have their own performance. That's right. Which usually is just de-stressing the situation as opposed to adding more stress to it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're right that parents often have outcome desires because you know, when your kid's playing, it's tough, right? We know that. We talked about it before, but yep. It it does feel very personal when your child's out there playing ball. So that's right. Knowing that's your right. performance out there. It is important. So good point right there. Yeah. yeah thank you. Um, so uh, we're not going to go through every single one of these. Um, so that's why you need to get the book. Uh, but um, the next tip is develop a skill each day. Inner belief comes from growth. Um, a quick, quick point on that is you know, I, I, it's, it's different now because you can put the note in your phone. I mean, technology has given us so, so much, um, which is great, <laughs> but uh, just, just, I used to put little mantras or little thoughts on a, on a sticky note and stick them to my mirror so that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm, you know, going to wash my face, brush my teeth, you know, and, and those, sticky notes with those ideas are right there on my, my mirror. And, and, and so you see them, you know, there, there's, I actually had a coach that uh, when phones were able to record a voice that I would have to say something like, I can do this. It's just something simple. And, and yeah. it's recorded in my voice on my phone. You know, you have, everybody, we have those voice recordings. Uh, and, and so then you can listen to yourself say it and you go, I really can't. I really, I really can. Um, so I think that's a, that's a quick one. Yeah. Develop a skill each day. Inner belief comes from growth. Um, yeah. you have a, a, a quick, a quick word on that one for us. And we're, we're going to keep rolling through. <laughs> yeah. No, great. I um, I think that's pretty deep, but, but also remember that when you do have an athlete and they buy into it and they're accountable for change, it, it takes a long time. Yes. When 
when we change a motor program, like a stroke, a serve technique, takes usually four to six weeks of, right. of dedication, of really rehearsing it. And so if we expect our athletes to change their belief system, it's going to take about two to three months. That's what sports okay. psychology says. Two to three months to reroute old negative habits. And sometimes, look, they're loyal to their old habits, their old match identity. Some kids get on the court, and as soon as they start to compete, they start to get angry. And it's their old identity, but they're loyal to it just because they've done it for so long. That's so, right. Cut them some slack and it's going to take and remind them it's going to take a while to break their old habits. That's so important. And it's so important for, again, each person involved to know, yeah. you know, yeah. the coach might know that, but has it been communicated to the player and the parent? Because if the parent watched a few lessons or matches or whatever, and they see, like you said, like, uh, first thing I get angry. You know, and so if you've been working on it for a week or two, the parent may by, might be like, ah, here they go again. This is not working. <laughs> yes. And, and so it, it's, it's important. It's good to take so, it in an incremental type of uh, situation. So when I'm working with players, you know, we talked about charting or paying attention in matches. Parents can chart how many times their kid gets frustrated. And if they're getting frustrated 15 times a match, your goal is to get them just to go down to 10 and then maybe to five, but we shouldn't expect them to go from 15 to zero. Right. That's not realistic, right? Right. So that goes back to, to measurable, right? Me it's measurable. And so we can improve it. Yeah. Um, so, so the fifth, fifth solution here, you have seek new inspiring mentors as trusted advisors, um, I'm just going to kind of skip through uh, number six. You have nourished your inner belief by exchanging pointless social media with informative YouTube posts regarding confidence and belief. I like that point. Uh, number seven, the human mind magnifies the bad. So review the matches you were clutch under pressure versus those you gifted away. So I do want to take a second on that one because that one really mm -hmm. hit home. Um, I, I let just the whole start of, of this tip with the human mind magnifies the bad. And again, it goes to that, you know, we see so many perfectionists come through, yeah. um, whether it's the child, the parent can also be a perfectionist that can be a shared trait. Um, and so we immediately, again, we're our own toughest critic, right? And so something yeah. bad happens. Say you've been working on it and say you'd had some success in practice overcoming it and changing it. And then here it is in the match and it happens. And that can sort of ignite this downward spiral of, I thought I had overcome this, but here it is again. And so it goes back yeah. to what you were just saying. Like, it doesn't mean that it, there's a problem, and then it's solved. Check, check. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. process. So anyway, go, 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 go. so again, it, review the matches you were clutch under pressure versus those you gifted away. The human mind magnifies the bad. Um, I just, I really like this tip. Um, so again, this is number seven in the book. It's on page 104. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Frank, enlighten us. <laughs> well, I, uh, I think we're just all nurtured that you, know, you if anybody does watch the news, right. every uh, every topic starts with the problem is this, the problem is that, the problem is this, and we just get used to that. So now what we want our athletes to try to do is, again, look at their superpowers. We talked about that. But watch your matches. Match play video analysis is absolutely essential. It's one of the things that most parents and athletes don't do but parents you can go online and, and get one of those telescopic poles and a little digital camera for like 200 bucks and it's so worth it because then you can hook it up to the top of the back fence it yes. shoots down in the same angle as a tv tennis channel type of match yes and then you can start to even catalog these when your child does play great Absolutely. that might be a match they have to review again later if Absolutely. they get into a slump and we all hit plateaus. We Absolutely. all hit slumps, but it's how you get out of it. That that's the key, right? 
Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up that point about uh, watching matches. And and there's so many ways now, there's so many options available. This isn't a, a, a difficult thing to do. Um, yeah. You know, it's been going on for over a decade now. There, the, I remember when there were first people that would show up that would be at the tournament and say, hey, do you want me to record your child's <laughs> match? I do this, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, yes. it has become much more accessible these days. And, and again, it, it helps with an, an, another word that we go to often um, with awareness, because yeah even at the very beginning we you know you have to identify what's going on so that you can then work towards solving solving it and yes. so maybe a parent has observed um a habit of a player in a match and that player hasn't really they're like no I don't I don't do that you know what mm -hmm. are you talking about no and um I'll, I'll I'll be quick this is funny but I had gone to a tournament and uh there were there were cameras on like red lights and stop signs in this city and um <laughs> a few weeks later i get a, a a ticket in the mail that said you know that i had um like rolled through a stop sign or something it was a stop sign or i'd like now i can't really remember but um and my husband had picked it up and he was like what happened here and I was like no I didn't I did not do that what are you talking about and he was like well they also emailed this thing and they have video of you here's your <laughs> car here's your car and you kind of just turn left on red and yes that, that's the car and that's you and I was like oh well yeah okay I did that <laughs> and so I just I tell that story just to say that the reviewing matches again the player can see it and you might not think you're doing it, but then you see yourself and you go, okay, okay, mom, or okay, coach, dad, whoever. Yeah. Self. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did do that. Okay. Yeah. And so, so just the, the, again, the word awareness is, is huge here. Um, so number eight, focus on what could go right versus what could go wrong. Number nine, remember where your focus, excuse me, number nine, remember where your focus goes, energy flows. I love that. Um, let's take a second on that one before we go number 10 and move on. But uh, remember where your focus goes, energy flows. <laughs> well, even, even when I do, like I just got off um, a session five minutes ago with a player from Wichita, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And when we did his match play video analysis, which of course you can just do in Zoom with it, right? Anywhere mm -hmm. across the country. But mm -hmm. um, we were listing all the things he did right. Mm -hmm. All the superpowers and all the things that he's actually accomplishing and, and the, the problems he's overcoming. Mm -hmm. and, and that helps them flip their, their attitude, right? Attitude's big. It helps them flip their... Uh, I guess the whole mindset that we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's important. Um, as far as videotaping though, I think a, a good quick tip for parents would be even like on the, on the drive home after a match, put your phone down by the seat and, and, and do the dictation app and, and tape yourself. If you're a coach, put your phone in your teaching basket and record it. And it's really important when you listen back and you can really hear some of the negatives that you don't even realize you're doing. So that applies not just to players, right? That's right. That's right. Um, so number 10, if you're going to have an attitude, make it gratitude. So I love that too. Um, an attitude of gratitude is, is an ongoing theme. And so I love yep. that uh, this chapter sort of ends, I mean, this section of the chapter, excuse me, sort of ends with, again, an, an attitude of gratitude. Um, and so we move on. The next session section in chapter eight is losing to lesser players. Mm. Um, this is a big one. This is a big one. Um, so tell us how you get to this, the, the fact that this needs its own section, losing to lesser players, because it's it's a big one. And I'm so glad that it's so important to be included 
um, as yeah. something to review, something to address. In the book, you say often losses are losses because there are still lessons to be learned. So it, it gives the athlete space to be like, you're going to lose sometimes. You're not going to win every match. So often losses are losses because there are still lessons to be learned. Um, you go on to say, even though no one likes losses, they're necessary for an athlete to reach high performance status. So why are losses necessary for an athlete to reach high performance status? Well, if the athlete wants to possibly play college ball, they have to be able to plug in the holes of their game before they ever even get offered a college scholarship. Right. And so losses are, are a great way for you to find out where the holes are. Mm -hmm. And it's not always just stroke mechanics. It might be movement around the ball or reckless shot selection or, mm -hmm. um, you know, it could even be like mental, emotional, like focus. I, I can't stay focused. My mind wanders and internal distractions or they if you watch it. a video. Yeah. Yeah. You can see like external distractions when the athletes are watching the other courts during their own match. Right. right. But look, if they're playing 30 tournaments a week, like a lot of the high or sorry, 30 tournaments a year, like high performance kids do, they may win three tournaments out of the whole year, which is very good. Right. So right. You're going to go home losing most weeks. That's just the nature. It's just evil the way they put the draws together and the way they put the scoring system together when they designed the game of tennis because there's no clock. People could come back. And also, I think it's meaningful not just to view your opponents as a certain UTR rating, like if you're a seven and they're only a six. Um, it's really based on what style they play and how your style fits into that style. So a great example to kind of help parents understand it is your athlete might be a seven. They just beat three, eight UTR kids. Now they're in the, the semifinals of a big tournament. And now they play a kid that's a moonball pusher. This kid's not a seven. He's only a six UTR, but he doesn't play a lot of events. So his UTR is low. And he plays the exact style your child hates to play. Now your your kid loses. He goes, I don't, man, I don't get it. I beat all these good kids. I lose to that toad over there. I don't, what's going on? <laughs> but it's stylistic approaches. We have to make sure that our ch children know how to play against all the different styles. Yep, I, I love it. Yeah, you say in the book. These losses point the direction of the upcoming training sessions and lead to maximizing potential at a quicker rate. Um, and you also go on to say in the solution section, um, making the athlete accountable for solving problems is a critical factor. Uh, so, so I love that we, we again kind of restate the point and making that so that accountability is so important facing and, yeah. you know, facing, identifying, and then make, taking the actions to make the change, you know, the attitude has to also change, you know, again as well. So moving on to the next section, this is a really fun one, um, trimming the fat. Mm. <laughs> um, so you, you, you list four essential components as stroke mechanics, tennis specific movement, mental strategies, emotional responses. And you say the secret isn't adding more, but trimming the fat. Um, I love this yeah. section. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the keys is that we, if you're a high performance coach and you talk to coaches, they're terrific at spotting anomalies. So mm -hmm. what's there that shouldn't be there mm -hmm. or what should be there, but it's not there. And that's what we're looking for when we watch athletes play. Watching them rally doesn't really mean much at all. That's we have right. to watch them compete, right? Yep. So trimming the fat might be on a stroke, shortening the backswing if it's too big, right? Mm -hmm. Or the footwork um, overrunning a wide ball. So for example, maybe they, they go out wide, they hit a wide ball, but it takes them three steps to stop their momentum, three steps to come back to where they were, now they're taking six extra steps that a high performance player wouldn't be taking. Right. 
But if you take six six steps like that and you even start to multiply it by, you know, the average tennis match is 130 points. Right. That adds up to your child taking like thousands of extra steps that the other people don't do. That's right. And so you're you're hurting your endurance to actually play well in the later stages of matches because you're you're not trimming the fat. Um, mental, it might be going for reckless shots that you don't even own. That would be silly. We've got to trim that out of your game. And obviously the emotional side is your wandering mind. Um, and typically it's just focusing on outcome desires, right? Yep. And yep. you see it. I, you know, and, and I also thought about um, training and how training is, is a big factor in trimming the fat. Um, you know, especially I think of, of people again, that mean well might have good intentions, but yeah. having a player train by running long distances or, you know, is not necessarily helpful in match creation in the match time, you know, because yeah, if you, if you watch a, a American football uh, game, you might see the, the player, they get, they catch a pass and they start running and they're dodging uh, the, the, the defensive opponents. And then they kind of break loose and they really run all the way down into the end zone. Well, we don't have as tennis players, the space to do that like fit the physical space you're not going to run and then have a breakaway run it, it, the court's too small it's not a football yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. if you're training sort of in a long distance setting that doesn't it, that might be good for just general fitness okay yeah. great you know, but if we're talking tennis specific movement, that's going yes. to train that training into your match, you know, that training, you might need to trim that away that that could be fat to trim away if, if that yeah. training isn't going to be the most helpful and yeah. so trimming the fat, it, it can, it can, to me, again, everything that you said, of course, but then I, I just went to the training factor of do we train tennis specific movement? Do we train these tennis specific situations? Um, and, and so I just, I love the idea of uh, you, you say simplifying often streamlines improvement. And so go, going back to what I just said about, you know, running long distance or something. Okay, great. But let's simplify it. Let's streamline it to how that first step, you know, cause in tennis, it's the first step. Yeah. Training that first step, you know, to get, get to the ball. So, so trimming that fat away of just general running or <laughs> that's just one example. But again, you know, you, you say the best athletes have refined their skill sets. So that that's what we're talking about here. The skill sets that you need. Yeah. So you can trim away some of those other things that, that really aren't, refining skill sets and you say find simplicity and trim the fat away from each component and so I love again you, you say each component where where can we trim the fat in your training in your competition you know yeah. how, how can we simplify things um and you have a list on page 106 um again we'll, we'll go kind of through this quickly here but um, example, you say examples of trimming the fat include strokes, too big a backswing, uh, oh. work, not applying the open stance on a wide ball, mental going off script with low percentage tactics. That's a big mm. one. Emotional being emotionally hijacked by their outcome wants. Um, and again, you say the best athletes have refined their skill sets, find simplicity and trim the fat away from each component. Um, that's just a whole lot of really important stuff right there. <laughs> it's a lot, isn't it? That, it and, is. 
The nice part, though, is that we're not asking the athlete to do more. We're asking him to do less. And that's uh, sometimes, you know, it's the old saying of, is it quality work or just quantity of work? <clears throat> right. And we see it with academies. You know, sometimes the kids are out there for six, seven hours a day, but they're basically just playing catch back and forth. Right. They're not practicing in the manner you're expected to perform. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something to consider. Absolutely. Important to consider. Um, so moving into the la last section of chapter eight, um, uh, it's, it is the pain of changing. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, all of these just do the crossover between we're talking about tennis, but we're talking about life too. Yeah. And so these skill sets that we're talking about refining and simplifying, they, they apply in life too. And so the pain of changing, um, you say improving stems from changing to some junior athletes change is more painful than losing. That's correct. <laughs> it's tough, but it's true, isn't it? It's, it is, it is. <laughs> so you go on to say for some change only happens when the athlete is tired of not getting the results they are capable of achieving, achieving. Oh gosh, I said that wrong. Let me back that up. I'll, I'll edit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, Frank, you go on to say in this section, for some, change only happens when the athlete is tired of not getting the results they are capable of reaching. Um, let, let's talk about that a little more. Well, with that topic, I think athletes have to hit that bottom baseline where they know that they're capable of better results they see maybe the finish line coming like maybe a college possible college mm -hmm. scholarship mm -hmm. and they know things have to change um at first with a lot of intermediate athletes they uh they kind of find a lot of excuses why they cannot train correctly mm -hmm. and um you know we talked about the 168 hour rule and how much time you can actually identify right but I think sometimes it's just a way for athletes to um, preset excuses and matches. So mm -hmm. if they lose, they can say, I couldn't practice last week, dad. I had too much homework or I couldn't play practice matches. Um, Johnny wouldn't play or whatever. And so then when they lose, now they have an excuse where they can blame shift to somebody or something else. That's kind of normal with a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. And so... I guess that's the maturity that we're kind of looking for. And we are trying to build life skills, right? Just through the game of tennis. And that's one of the big ones is that whole blame shifting idea. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, coming clean, you know? Absolutely. You know, it, it also use, use um, the diet industry as an example in the book. And you say, you know, we know that exercise and eating healthy is the answer to uh, getting to a physical goal, uh, but that agony is more painful than not fitting into our skinny jeans so we don't change. And yeah. so it goes back to to a theme that we've uh, talked about often that uh, willing and able, you know, when you look at something, are you are you able to make the change, number one? Because there are some, I mean, rare cases where physically, or, or who knows what that that that's a huge obstacle um so the ability you have to look at your ability can yeah. your ability take you to to what the goal is here and then okay so if we've said that yes you are able to make this change and so then it goes into but are you willing to make this yeah. change? you know are you willing to stop uh eating ice cream every night <laughs> Or finishing, <laughs> you know, but but the whole idea again of willing and able, um, and it's it tough. ties it ties back into the the attitude of gratitude again. If you're grateful, yep. if you're grateful that you have the ability to change, and so then it's really on you. Are you then willing to do what it takes? And it is painful. Like you say, change is painful. It's hard. Um, so are you are you able and willing to do it? Um, yeah. 
and playing college ball, it's not easy. Like I think the stats now are in the U.S. that if you're a high school tennis player, under 4% of all high school tennis players go on to play higher level college ball. Okay, that's interesting. 4%. That's a lot of wow. A lot of players are out there, thousands and thousands of high school players with the dream of playing college, um, but they don't have the customized developmental plan in place, right? So then the dream for the rest of their, their life just remains a dream. That's right. So, right. but... You know, in, in the in the solution part of this final mm -hmm. section of chapter eight, you say to maximize potential, routinely take your athlete out of the tournament cycle for a couple of weeks every quarter. This scheduled time off will kickstart the freedom change demands for improvement. After all, if they don't continually improve, their results will disappear. So I love that, that, you know, like you said, it takes, you know, weeks to change a, a stroke or a, or a, or a movement pattern. Um, you know, it takes months possibly if we're talking about mental and emotional change. And yeah. so this scheduled time off, I'm so glad that you included this saying this scheduled time off will kickstart the freedom change demands for improvement. And that is just golden. <laughs> that should be a golden yeah. rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, better results come from improving first, right? We know that. And but athletes don't often know that. Young, I have young kids say all the time. They go, "Well, yeah, when I become a pro, then I'll start training like a pro." Right. But right. It's probably opposite, right? That's right. That's right. You um, know, and, and and young players, especially, you know, if they're getting a serve in using the wrong grip. I mean, that this is an easy, yes. you know, and they're, they're like, well, I can get it in and I can play and I can win. If I use a continental grip, I can't hit my serve in. And so I'm not going to do that yet. <laughs> You're like, well, when are you going to do it? <laughs> the yeah. longer you wait, the harder it will be to make the change. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It <laughs> is. But, but once they get those programs set, whether it's a, a habit, a choice, those are mental, emotional programs once you get a habit or a choice kind of built in it's hard to change isn't it absolutely it is, um, it is. and it takes courage yeah yeah courage is a word we've used a lot you know so it takes courage because again going back to what you said earlier about how how many tournaments you're going to play and, you know, I think you said something like if you play 30 events in a year, you might win three and that's pretty good. Yeah. And so mentally to, to know that um, it, it's a tricky balance there of going, yes, I know I'm not always going to win all the time, but then another thing that I've, I've seen and that is hard and it would be hard from a parental standpoint or a coach standpoint um, and I don't really know the answer, honestly, but when a player gets then comfortable with losing and then losing is okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's something I've seen, you know, if, if you have a, like, I've had a good player, um, that starts playing up in age division and, and they can be competitive, but let's say, okay, we, we've just moved up to this next age division. You're one of the younger ones, you know, so, so, you know, it, we have to be careful with being okay with losing because yeah. it's necessary, as you said in the section before it, you know, it's necessary for improvement, but we also don't want to get to a point where it's like a built-in excuse that while well, I'm playing up now I'm new so I'm gonna lose because you know whatever so, well, so it's really it, interesting that balance yeah. between losing is necessary but don't get too comfortable losing because then it's like well you just are used to losing uh yeah it's tricky well, it is but I uh I'm gonna share a story about that topic but um back about Oh, geez, now it's 15, 20 years ago. My my daughter was a top player. She was number one in the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, her partner was Vanya King, who went on to win, I think, a U.S. Open doubles title and a Wimbledon doubles title. Yep. But um, 
when they were kids, Vanya didn't always play up. Most parents believe this myth that if you play up, you're going to get better faster. Right. So Vanya actually played down. So instead of playing the top tournaments in the summer here in, in, in the States, like the clay courts and the hard courts and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. she chose to go to Asia and play lower level ITFs. She wow. learned how to win five matches in a row. Oh. And then she played another tournament in Asia and, and, and I think won another one. Her confidence skyrocketed. Her ITF skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. She came back to the States. Uh, she got a wild card into the U.S. Open that year. I think it was like 2012 or I'm not sure the exact year, maybe mm -hmm. earlier even. But she got a wild card. She played the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. She wins three rounds in the main draw. By the end of the summer, she's ranked top 50 in the world. Wow. And my daughter and all the other girls that were just her level are still playing juniors. Mm. But okay. So you're right. She's playing down, they need that skill to learn how to compete for 10 sets in a row. Yep. yep. That's hard. It is so hard. It's so hard. And again, this is a space, I think, where a, a parent needs guidance yes to be able to then guide the player as well uh, i wish but somebody then, wrote a book yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but <laughs> so the parent because the parent you know they're like oh we're gonna play up we're we're too good for the current age level we're gonna play up but it's okay if he loses because uh you know he's younger and less experienced and so then the parent has an excuse too yeah oh, he's losing, but he's playing up but you know it's so it's okay you know and it just it that, to me this is a very delicate um scenario because you yeah. don't want your player to get too comfortable losing <laughs> uh but losing is necessary um and so i love the story you told about vanya um uh, just learning to win yeah that's big you know I and, and that stat would be like 70 percent. if you're winning 70 percent of your matches you're probably playing the correct level okay uh, that's a good stat yeah i mean if you're winning you know if you play a tournament and you're playing main draw and back draw remember we said too don't don't name it the back draw or the losers right. draw right. to say it's the second tournament but if they right. played four matches on the weekend and they win you know three out of four that's a pretty good weekend that's right that's um, right parents also just on that note be careful with saying uh we won or we're playing because that adds more pressure to your child because they know that you're banking on them to hold up the integrity of the family um but it's funny because we hear it all the time when the child wins the parent calls and goes we won and when the <laughs> child loses they go they lost <laughs> That's right. <laughs> didn't didn't Andy Murray say that that when he wins he's British and when he loses he's Scottish? <laughs> oh, yeah, probably right. That sounds like it. I think that was somewhere. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I know uh, I'm so glad that we got to uh, take um, a little extra time with this chapter. And and so I so appreciate your time as always, Frank. Um, so again, uh, you can reach out. We'll, we'll put links down below. You can follow us on all things social media. Um, and thank you for listening. And so next we will tackle chapter nine. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. So wrapping up chapter eight, Frank, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Keep those emails coming, you guys. Keep That's them right. coming. Yep. <laughs> All right. Until next time. <laughs>